to surprise any of you. Uh, I think we all know the, the reason why we're here, and it's, it's certainly not here to, to see or listen to me. Uh, in just a little bit, as we always do, we're going to partake of communion, but today it's going to look a little different. Uh, and so in the next few moments as I'm talking, we're going to be preparing for that time that's going to take place at the conclusion towards the end of my sermon, but we're not going to have any songs in between. I just, I want you to know about that because I don't want it to surprise you and say I wasn't really ready for that. So let's go ahead and have our, our first slide uh, brought up here if we can. We're going to play a, a, a game real quick to, to get us started off. Who am I? I was born in Ohio in 1930. I earned the highest rank in Boy Scouts as an Eagle Scout. I earned a student flight certificate on my 16th birthday and then soloed in August all before I had a driver's license. I took one small step for man. Oh, you got to say it louder. Neil Armstrong. Okay, we, we can go ahead and put his, his picture up there. Okay, how about this next one? I was born in 1946. I followed the family business of real estate. I starred in a reality TV show. I later got into politics. Okay, there you go. How about this one? I was born in Mississippi in 1954. And I was named after a woman in the Bible. I started a talk show starting in 1986. And a book club 10 years later. All right. I was born in 1995. I graduated from high school in White House, Texas. I'm six foot two. I played baseball and football for Texas Tech. Patrick Mahomes. All right. I was born in New York in 1983. I graduated from high school in Queens, New York in 2001. I earned the highest rank in Boy Scouts as an Eagle Scout. I was a dispatcher for the Forest Hills Volunteer Ambulance Corps. I worked as a clerk for a law firm called Cooper & Cully. Just a month before starting my EMT course, I was delivering papers for my law firm. On Tuesday morning at 8.46, I witnessed a large plane hit a building. I telephoned the law office to tell people I was going to stay at the scene to help with the wounded. I was trained in CPR and first aid. There's a photo of me in the Newsday magazine aiding the injured at the World Trade Center. I told my mom, I'm going to be famous one day. I'm going to help save the world. I was called hero. On March 26, 2002, six months after the towers collapsed. Who am I? Richard Perlman. He was 18 years old. And he did not belong there. But he chose to be there. And he sacrificed his life. 
and no one knows his name. Only his mom remembers every single day by, in which she said, My son, thank you for what he did. 21 years, 4 months, and 25 days ago. 19 terrorists boarded four airline planes and took the lives of 2,997 people. That day, two 110-story tall buildings, which made up nearly 10 million square feet and officed 35,000 people, crumbled to the ground. That day, on Flight 93, Thomas Burnett Jr. told his wife over the phone, he said, I know that we're all going to die, but there's three of us who are going to do something about it. I love you, honey. Another passenger, Todd Beamer, was heard saying, are you guys ready? Let's roll over an open line. That day, two-and-a-half-year-old Christine Lee Hansen was less than an hour into her first airplane ride, headed to Disney World with her mom and dad on either side of her. Initially, the three were scheduled to fly out on September 10th, but they moved their flight at the last minute because their dad had a work conflict. Today, she would be 23 years old. How much was lost that day on September 11, 2001? The loss of four civilian aircraft was valued at around $385 million. The destruction of the World Trade Center's Took, would be a replacement cost between three and four billion dollars. The Pentagon was another one billion. Cleanup cost would have been around 1.3 billion dollars. Property and infrastructure damage 10 billion to 13 billion. Federal emergency funds to heighten security for sky marshals, for government takeover of airport security, for retrofitting aircraft and anti-terrorist devices, 40 billion. Direct job losses around, uh, amounted to 83,000, which cost 17 billion in lost wages. The amount of damage to unrecoverable property, 21.8 billion. Losses to the city of New York, lost taxes, damage, cleaning, 95 billion. Losses to the insurance industry, 40 billion. Loss to air traffic revenue, 10 billion. The cost total, of that one day, about $2 trillion. But what about the families? What about the families who would never see their dad, their daughter, their sister, their child ever again? What was that loved one worth? Oddly enough, that amount was actually calculated, not hypothetically, literally, to each of those individuals 
the, the nearly 3,000 who lost their lives and another 2,600 who were, who were hurt severely. There was a number assigned to give to the family. And a check was cut. You see, here's something we probably don't think a lot about. You see, America was hurting emotionally and financially, but potentially that one day could have literally caused the collapse of the entire economy. You see, while there were nearly 3,000 lives that were lost that day, there were another 3,000 who would never be the same. Some who contracted cancer even after cleaning up the debris. How would they be compensated for their loss? What was their life really worth? Enter Kenneth Feinberg and the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. How many of you are, are familiar with the Victims Compensation Fund? A handful of people prior to about a month ago, I knew nothing about it until, as I always do, I watch a documentary and it just enthralls and intrigues me. And here was the issue that the country was facing. There were approximately 5,600 victims who lost their lives or their lives were changed in such a drastic way that they could never be able to work or earn money again. And these families had to some way find out how they're going to continue living their life. And some individuals got together who hurt for the families, but also understood that there was a big picture in mind. That if these 5,600 families decided individually or corporately to sue the airline companies for allowing these guys to get on an airplane with box cutters, I mean, you can't get onto an airplane with a bottle of shampoo bigger than this. But this is before TSA, this is before Homeland Security, this is before all of, of the security that they now have in place. And some people started looking and thinking and figuring and said, if these 5,600 families all decide that they want to sign a value and they want to sue the government or they want to sue uh, the airline industry, they said, by the time all is said and done, our economy will collapse. The airline industries will go bankrupt. And that's not just about flying people around. There's lots and lots of goods that you get to your houses, that get to your places, that get to your businesses. None of that would be able to sustain if the airline industry collapsed. And so they said, we have to figure out a way. If we can go to these families and say, we understand you're hurting. Can we offer you a sum of money and in return you sign a form that says you will not sue for not only your loss, but for what we would call punitive damages. And this man by the name of Kenneth Feinberg did something so incredibly crazy. He stepped forward and he said, I'm, 
I'm familiar with this area. I have experienced. He was attorney. And he said, I want to do this. And not only did he agree to do it, he said, and one more thing, I want to do it pro bono. I don't want to be paid for this. And he was then tasked over the course of two years. They said, you have two years. You have to come to agreement with as many families as you can. The bottom line is, if you don't get at least 80% of the families to agree on an amount, and more importantly, agree not to sue, if you don't get at least 80%, this country is going to go into economic collapse. And regardless of how much money these people make, their lawyers are going to get between a third and a half of it. And no matter how much money they end up with, they are going to be living in a society that is completely broken down. And they said, you've got to find a way to give compensation to these people. And so how do you do it? How do you look at a person and say, this is how much your husband is worth? This is how much your daughter is worth. This is how much your child is worth. It wasn't easy. How do you decide? Do you just take the total amount, divide it by the number of people, and say, this is what you get? Does a, a janitor who has a mortgage of $1,000 a month, does he get the same amount as a CEO who has his family in a house where their mortgage may be 10 times that amount? How do you figure it out? That seems a little bit logical, right? It doesn't seem exactly fair. But what if that CEO does get more money than the janitor because his family has more expenses? What about the firefighter? What about the 343 firemen who ran into the building to get people out? How do you put a number on that? How do you decide what they're really worth? The CEO makes a whole lot more money. And so does he get a whole lot more than the guys who are running in there? To try to save lives? What is it worth? If the 5,600 claimants sued the airlines, if even 20% of them did, all would be lost. The hit would not just affect a small portion of people, it would affect the entire country. Now, without giving too much away of the story, I guess you can imagine our economy didn't collapse. And Kenneth Feinberg, and I encourage you to watch this, this documentary on Netflix, it's called Worth. He helped save the economy by determining, albeit rather crudely, what a life is worth. Over the course of two years, 
especially towards those last couple of days, people began to sign an agreement not to sue and to take a small portion of what they probably believed what their family member was really worth. Overall, each person got around, uh, or, or total, the total amount that Feinberg passed out was $7 billion to those families. And I just wonder how those conversations had to go as he sat down with individuals and said, this is how much your life is worth. And so here we are, left with the same question. What is a life worth? Now any good preacher would pose this question to you. He would ask you, what are you worth? How valuable are you, not just financially, not just to humans, but how valuable are you to God? How much would God pay for you? But I'm not a good preacher. And we are not here to worship you. You aren't the one who died. You aren't the one who sacrificed. You're not the one who chose to go to their death in order to save someone else. This morning, I don't want to ask you how much you think you are worth. I want to ask, how much is Jesus worth? It's so easy to get caught up into how important we are as people. And that is just, that is what the 80s and 90s and thousands, that's, that's what I grew up in. Just people to, oh, you're so great and you're so good, you can do anything. Really? I can do anything? I sat on the bench in basketball my freshman year. That doesn't seem unusual. I was the tallest one in my class. There's one kid taller than me. At the, I was six foot two. How much was I worth then? Riding the pine was how much I was worth. But people say, oh, you're great. You can do anything. And we get so stuck on how important we are and why we're here and what songs we like and, and how people make us feel good. But we're not here for that. And I deeply love you all. And I was just sitting there a few minutes ago, just my heart overflowing, just thinking about each one of you, seeing Randy Allen walk in, seeing Marie Ritchie sitting there with her family, L listening uh, to Keith Rawls sing a part of the song that I didn't know how to sing, but I was over here, I could hear you singing. I'm like, I, if I can just follow along with him, wouldn't that be great? To see all of you here. I love you. But we're not here for you. This is not to figure out how valuable you are. We are here because Jesus died for us. And I just think, as I watched that documentary, it just, I just kept thinking, 
What is a life worth? And what are we willing to say, this is what I'll do for you? We have Mrs. Perlman, who today woke up. And she thought about how she misses her son. And the fact that he risked his life. He gave everything he had. To go in there to save people. And we don't know his name. I don't know why you're here this morning. Some of you are in a great place in life and, and you want to be here to worship. Some of you are dealing with grief and loss and it is just hard to put your shoes on in the morning. The hurt that you're feeling. Some of you, you're just here because it's what you've always done and God bless you for that. But I want to be here for one reason. I want to remember Jesus. That's why I'm here. I don't ever want to forget the life that was lost and the grief that was felt and the decision that was made because Jesus didn't belong on that hill or on that cross. I did. And I still belong there if it were not for His sacrifice. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to do what we're always here to do, is just remember Jesus. I don't want us to ever forget the sacrifice He made and the fact that Jesus didn't make a, a knee-jerk decision that he knew what he was doing before he even came. As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, I want to share with you a passage from Isaiah chapter 53. This is from the passion, excuse me, this is from the message. Who believes what we've seen and heard? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down. He was passed over. A man who suffered and who knew pain firsthand. 
one look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and we thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements. All the things that are wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that, that ripped and tore and crushed. It was our sins. He took the punishment and he made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and we've gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've gone our own way and God piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. On Him. He was beaten and He was tortured. And He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to the slaughter, like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and He was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked. They threw him in a grave with criminals. Even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along. To crush His own Son with this pain. This plan was that He give Himself as an offering for sin so that He'd see life come from it. Life. Life. And more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. What is Jesus worth to you? It seems only fair that if he would give his life, that he would suffer, that in order to have what he deserves in heaven, that we should have to go through the same. But God's not calling for your blood. He's not asking you to be nailed to a cross. He says, come here. Gather together. Remember Jesus. Talk about my son. Celebrate his life. Remember his sacrifice. when the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus. He asked His disciples to take the bread. And as He took the bread, 
he reminded them that this is my flesh. Don't forget that I came down to live with you and to show the love of my Father to you. Would you pray with me? Father God, as as we remember as we remember your son Jesus may we never forget that he chose to come down and be with us that he became flesh and that he dwelt among us that he taught that he loved, that he showed compassion and mercy, that he lived each and every day a perfect and sinless life. And he did it so that his Father might be glorified and that we would be able to come into the presence of the Father through his sacrifice. May we never forget what he did. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. As we continue to think about this sacrifice, I've asked Brett to lead us in a verse of a song. Please think about these words and continue to meditate on Jesus' sacrifice. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his Face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. This time of remembrance. May we focus on this fruit of the vine that we have before us. May it remind us of a God who would give everything. Not just his son to come down to live as a king, but as a lamb who would be a sacrifice for each and every one of us. As we partake of this cup, may we honor and celebrate a God who saves through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin.
The phrase that you've heard so many times before is separate and apart. That separate and apart from remembering Jesus, we now have an opportunity to take up a collection uh, to help uh, the ministries uh, that are uh, run by this congregation, by, by many of you. Uh, it's not just about cents and dollars. It's about an opportunity to be reminded about the worth and value, not only of Jesus, but for all the lost people out there who so desperately need to know about it. On Wednesday nights, several months ago, we started a class about uh, called What Are We Singing? And I guess it's really about song theology. What are the words that we sing and do they have any meaning? And this is probably one of my most favorite songs because of what it says. And so we're going to sing this song in just a minute, but I'm going to ask we do something a little different. Guy, if you don't mind, if you'll throw up this next one. What I'd like to do on this final verse is before we sing it, I'd like for us to read it together. Because I want you to really focus in on these words and then I'm going to ask Brett to come up and, and put it to music and, and we'll sing it together. But let's do this together. In fact, if you don't mind, would you please stand as we read this together? I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. As you go out this week, my prayer for you is that you will respond to the sacrifice of Jesus. And you will love other people the way Jesus loves us. And in doing so, we will forever proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Will you leave this last verse with us, Brent? I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I can. 
and I give answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my right.